that first $1,000 investment generated $4.5 million in lifetime value. Good Lord. And launched a very successful <laughs> mobile company. And... Welcome to episode 85 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F is for well you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, and this weekly podcast serves as my excuse to chat with marketing friends old and new that I've met through my career as a marketing leader and trusted advisor, and hopefully share with you some marketing street knowledge my guests and I have picked up along the way that could bring out the Rockstar CMO in you. Come say hello. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. This episode was recorded on Friday the 22nd of October. Thank you for joining us. Hope you've had a good week and you're well, safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. This week, I'm afraid regular listeners, Jeff is away. But I have a fantastic extended chat with Christopher Willis, CMO of Acrolinks that I think you'll like. And of course, I wind down for the weekend with my friend, Robert Rose, in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Right, let's get started, shall we? Before I get to my guest, with Jeff away, I have the microphone and the keys to the Penthouse Spotify account. So I thought I'd share a thought and a tune with you. In a few weeks, I'll be back in the saddle as a full-time CMO, which is very exciting. And having hosted 84 previous episodes and spoken to over 75 marketers, I have no shortage of wonderful advice to go back to and listen to on this podcast. But also, when Rockstar CMO was more of a web publication on rockstarcmo.com, we had a regular feature called Backstage Q&A, and I've been flicking through the archive there. The premise is I go backstage with the CMO and ask them a bunch of questions. One of those was... The curtain pulls back, you step out on the stage of a new marketing gig, what do you open with? So I wanted to share with you some of what I learned there and remind myself of the great advice they've shared. J. Robert Slaughter, Fractional CMO, it's people, processes and technology in that order for a reason. It's taken me 20 plus years to understand this. Build your dream team, develop trust with all the players, you will accomplish great things. Wise words from Bob. And he kicks off a theme there, as Sally Yates, CMO, Acceptor, agrees. People, it's always people. You have to bring the team along with you. Then it's the programs, what is working and what needs changing or fine-tuning. What data have you got and how good is it so you can make informed choices? Find out where you are at and then imagine what you could be. I like that. Oliver Pilgerstorfer, CMO at IFS, also focused on people. People want to know what to expect in the short term, what their future will look like, and why you're the person to lead them. Ideally, I'd want to have, a, had, have had the opportunity to get under the skin of the business before walking out on stage in order to be qualified to articulate what look good looks like and where we're headed. And the trend continues as Jenny Young, CMO of Tappet, shared, it's all about the people. Listen, listen, and listen. Don't be afraid to ask stupid questions and understand difficult perspectives. Be curious and meet as many people as possible. Building solid relationships at an early stage of starting a new job will get you further than any multi-million pound budget, fancy agency, or shiny new tool. I like that. The fact that the people are way more important in your relationships than any of those shiny baubles. Lynn Capozzi, CMO of Acquia, started her reply with, it's people, data and tools. Very similar to what Rob was saying. 
And you'll hear those three words repeat within the Acrea Marketing Organization, she says. And she broke each of those down. A nice excerpt from that is take a step back to see what is and isn't working within your organization and don't be afraid to make changes to create more efficient teams to generate pipeline. I like the mention of pipeline. There's something we'll be hearing about from our guest this week. Amber Osborne, who now looks after marketing partnerships at Mozilla Hubs, suggests in an entertaining interview, curse words and tons of coffee. Since I come from the world of community marketing and fan bases, it's all about finding your audience and having a proper customer relationship management, not just the CRM tools we all know and love so much. I'm talking about that first. Hey, welcome to our house. Have a seat. Make yourself at home. The conversation that you have with new customers, all the way to getting that irate, angry customer back in your boat with a hug, as much as you might want to use some duct tape. I really like that. And you should read the rest of that interview. She's Miss Destructor on Twitter as well. Excellent, excellent stuff. Tom Wentworth, CMO of RapidMinder. He started with, I'm going to start by saying no a lot. Marketing is a constant battle of prioritization and endless shiny objects to chase. I encourage my team to break things down into first principles and I ask them why an annoying number of times, forcing the conversation to get at the heart of the issue. Often that means saying no to something. So true. As Alaria mentioned last week in the, in, on the podcast, in her interview, starting with why, and I agree with Tom, the power of a good no. Finally, some advice from Ted Rubin, who was our resident rock star at the time. Return on relationship is the key, he says. Relationships are like muscle tissue. The more you engage them, the stronger and more valuable they become. It's been insightful to go back through those interviews and clearly some themes coming through. It's about people, it's about relationships before you get to tools and processes, but it's also about data. And I can't include all the advice here, but I encourage you to take a look at rockstarcmo.com forward slash backstage or search rockstarcmo backstage to read more. I'll, of course, include a link to it in the show notes. Now, with Jeff away, I also get to pick a tune. And on the topic of advice, I'm going to go with Desiree. You got to be from 1994. Listen, your day unfolds challenge what the future holds try and keep your head up to the sky lovers they may cause you tears go ahead release your fears stand up and be counted don't be ashamed to cry you gotta be you gotta be bad you gotta be bold you gotta be wiser So there you go, a bit of Desiree. And on to our guest, Christopher Willis is Acrolinx's Chief Marketing Officer, responsible for all aspects of the company's marketing strategy. Chris has over 20 years of experience growing companies in the technology sector and held leadership roles in marketing, creative, technical, and business development. Our companies including Perfecto, Pixis Mobile, KPMG CT, Model Golf, and Cambridge Technology Group. 
Chris is a recognized thought leader in the areas of AI, DEI, and content governance, and is active within industry groups dedicated to the growth and health of marketing technologies and the verticals he shares. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you like it. Hi, Chris. Welcome to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I am great. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. And for people that don't know you, Chris, tell us a little bit about yourself. I am the Chief Marketing Officer and Chief Pipeline Officer at a company called Acrolynx. Uh, we're based in Berlin and Waltham, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure we'll uncover more about me as we go along. <laughs> Absolutely. That's my intention. Actually, I want to pick you up on something there. We didn't talk about this before, but I'm interested in this Chief Pipeline Officer part of your role because I've been hearing a lot about we need chief revenue officers, we need chief growth officers. What does that part of your role mean? So it's the active management of the fuel that runs essentially the entire pipeline. So our CRO is is very tied to the day-to-day running of the sales organization Mm -hmm. um, and very tied to closing opportunities, uh, progressing opportunities, running the mechanics from opening that opportunity through. Um, As a marketer, I'm very concerned uh, in the creation of leads and meetings mm-hmm. and those that handoff between yeah. marketing and sales. Holistically, though, this is a whole engine that needs to be mm-hmm. fueled. And I, I, we need to have an, a vision of what we need going forward on a yeah. four quarters forward basis to be able to fuel the business and be planning for that. So knowing that at the end of this year, we have a specific pipeline goal and it's Mm -hmm. built on new logo pipeline and expansion pipeline. And it's sitting in this much in Q1, this much in Q2 Mm -hmm. and managing to that, having that view and having meetings with the individual sales reps to ensure that their pipelines for them are healthy. If theirs are then for the whole organization. So we have a CMO, it's me, Mm -hmm. we have a CRO, that's Shane Cumming. Mm -hmm. Um, And this function is Mm -hmm. sort of reach over both of those areas to Mm -hmm. ensure that both sides are doing the right things to get us to where we need to be as an organization. Uh, It's something that we implemented and put in place maybe a year and a half, almost two years ago. Um, And we're still learning a lot. So part of what we look at is sales velocity. Uh, And the sales velocity equation is the number of opportunities times the average deal size times the win rate over the average sales cycle, specifically the length. And what we're coming up with is this measurement that is dollars per day or euros per day of production in a sales organization. And with that data, we can see a trend of whether we're getting better and faster and stronger at selling or the opposite of that. And that comes out in increased conversion rates. That comes out in more opportunities, one, obviously, in a lower sales cycle. Uh, And all these things play into the metrics that I look at on a day-to-day basis in this pipeline role to make sure that we're building a healthy organization out into the future. I don't look at right now Q4. I'm looking at Q1 through Q4 of next year in that role. Wow, I love that. But also what I love about this, and we're always talking about this um, on on Rockstar CMO, is uh, the fact that the CMO needs to be hooked into those things that the C-suite cares about. And absolutely, you know, if you can get, you know, pipeline and revenue is exactly where it's at, isn't it? And 
we're also seeing the change in the role of CMO to chief revenue officer and chief growth officer. And we're seeing the, the tenure of CMOs being threatened. And I think that approach changes that, right? You're hooked right in. I think that's really interesting. Well, it's, there's levers on both sides to ensure, again, that, that healthy mm. situation for the organization. It also, and I mean, I think this is for people listening, thinking, wow, that sounds really interesting. Yeah. It depends on your company. It, there right. needs to be a very positive dynamic between sales and marketing leadership. Mm-hmm. If there is yeah. not, this is an opportunity for incredible misalignment. Yeah. Um, the yeah. fact that Shane and I work really well together mm-hmm. and we have very aligned goals and we're looking to get to the same place. And my team is measured not on things that they create, but mm-hmm. on things that convert. And nice. some of those things were the case. Then yeah. this would just be another great opportunity for sales and marketing to fight. Yeah, and we don't need any more of those. <laughs> no, I, I, I can think of you know several companies that I've been in mm-hmm. where if this had been my role, it would not have been particularly comfortable. Right, um, right. Just because there are egos being thrown around and there's mm-hmm. you know, different ways of looking at things, we have a very special situation here. Yeah, yeah. And um, I really should move on to the rest of our interview, but where do you sit on the whole MQL debate about whether we should track MQLs or not? So we do, but I don't care much about them. Uh, mm-hmm. Nobody gets bonuses for generating leads. Nobody gets mm-hmm. bonuses for creating MQLs. Mm-hmm. Um, where the rubber hits the road is at the creation of that first stage of opportunity. So in my world, that's something we call interest confirmed. It's mm-hmm. It sits in omit, so sales reps aren't measured on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's that handoff of the, there's four critical questions and an expectation yeah. of the second meeting that means that we have interest. That's right. the handoff with the sales organization. And that creation of that opportunity then follows through to being priced and turning into discovery. And right. so the first stage that my demand gen team has mm-hmm. bonus compensation is an in, is at interest confirmed. They right. don't control that. Right. The sales rep controls that. Right. The second part that they get comp for is when it moves into discovery stage, when it moves into their pipeline. Yeah. And again, they don't control that. No. So it's incumbent upon them to create a product yeah. that works for the sales organization. And the fact that you generated 15,000 leads, I don't care about that no. because we can't live in an organization where marketing can stand up at the end of the quarter and say, we absolutely crushed it. Look how awesome we mm-hmm. are. We didn't sell a damn thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's not how, that, that's that's t- fantastic, but it's not how the business runs. Yeah. That's the typical MQL question, isn't it? If you comp your marketing team on MQLs, then the definition of an MQL changes so they can meet the number, right? Absolutely. So <laughs> really good at fixing things to make it work for us. Yeah. yeah, but sales are still failing. All right, well, uh, I'll move on to the main part of our um, our interview. Um, I, I, you know, I've, I've watched your career. I've known Acrolinks for quite a while, and um, I've seen, I've obviously done my research on LinkedIn and stuff, but known you uh, remotely for a little while. Um, you've had a wonderful marketing career, but that's not how you started. What inspired you to choose marketing in, in, during your career? So honestly, um, two things. Mm-hmm. The answer that is my knee-jerk reaction is the room spun, and everybody uh-huh fell into a corner and marketing was the corner I fell into, mm-hmm. um, but it kind of made sense. So back in the late nineties, um, a group of guys got together and we essentially started a company around, yeah. um, services, uh, implementation services for financial services companies. Mm-hmm. Um, we were a, I guess, a, a burgeoning FinTech company before that was cool. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, in 2001 timeframe, um, the market changed and a lot of companies, big companies, our customers were you know, Morgan Stanley, Merrill Lynch, mm-hmm. John Hancock, and a lot of big companies 
eliminated uh, the outside consulting, especially mm-hmm. and specifically small company outside consulting. And we had a decision to make. And the decision was, do we figure out how to become a product company or do we just go do other things? And we decided to become a product company. And now everybody needs to actually operate. We were all people and all project managers. And now we're going to run a product company. And how do we take a product to market? Mm -hmm. And um, my I still think to this day, my most successful marketing campaign was the first marketing campaign. Mm-hmm. It's, it, I mean, I've been chasing that for my entire career, but we, we had created what was before it's time, the first package mobile application mm-hmm. before there was an iPhone, before there was a Blackberry, before wow. there was a windows mobile device. There was yeah. handspring and Palm pilot, no, yeah. card, no, nothing. And we created a composite application that brought, CRM and sales data warehouse and all of these data sources that mutual fund wholesalers use to run mm-hmm. their day onto your screen. So it wasn't a small screen version of big screens. Mm-hmm. It was a composite app and it helped them to run their life. And because it, it spoke specifically to our persona, it was very easy to market. Yeah. We knew exactly who to talk to. You talk to the national sales manager at a mutual fund company. Yeah. So I built a click-through demo in PowerPoint that would run on a handspring device and had custom pillows made with little stars and moons and a box made that had a, a label on it that said, is your CRM keeping you up at night? And, yeah. open up and it says, let us help you sleep. And the device is sitting there. So it was a neat giveaway. It was a nice looking box and it would get attention. And I hand delivered that to 10 um, heads of sales at mm-hmm. mutual companies. And that first $1,000 investment generated 4.5 million in lifetime value. Good Lord. And launched a very successful mobile company. And that was when it all kind of came together for me that I liked Good it. Lord. Um, I have a very best. liberal arts background. I have a mm-hmm. theater degree. And so this allowed me to be creative. Yeah. Um, and, um, and still be numbers driven. Mm-hmm. Um, learned yeah, very yeah. early on that just drawing pretty boxes and things doesn't actually get you marketing budget no so figuring out the whole metric aspect yeah you had to i mean you did everything didn't you you were highly targeted you knew who the persona was you knew what the challenge was that they had and you found a creative way of expressing that challenge mm-hmm. and then you had the i mean i i, I mean I, I remember those days and anything cool that you could do on mobile like that i can imagine was they 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 lap that up right away so it's well, amazing. I mean, the most interesting thing was that the the person that we're selling to isn't a software buyer it's mm-hmm. a sales guy like yeah, yeah. some million dollar a year earning salesperson that just says uh, i got this thing in the mail and i'd like this for me and my whole team who's buying this for me yeah i, I mean it was right. just i don't know it was, it was abm before we knew that abm yeah. it's back when we used to just call it marketing yeah um, and it was very effective and that was that. That was you, Mark. Well, been trying yeah, to nice. do that same campaign for years. Never had that <laughs> chasing that dragon. Okay. I love it. Um, but uh, and also, like knowing a little bit about you, we share a passion for content marketing. And um, as you've moved, I mean, I don't know whether we should have gone through your whole career, but I would love to have done that. But we've only got a limited amount of time. But that's a perfect start for the story. But fast forward into the day where you where you're now working with content and content marketing and your organization works with large enterprises. What are the challenges you're seeing right now? I mean, I, I mean, I love content marketing. So, you know, what are you seeing is, well, I mean, I think the biggest challenge is that 
it's hard to, I mean, if for us, the challenge that we deal with is it's hard to reach the people that we want to talk to. Nobody's mm-hmm. at a desk. Yeah. And so the outbound marketing aspect of what we do is, is difficult. It, mm-hmm. it used to be great. We could get super creepy and research you specifically and know exactly mm-hmm. what you're interested in and put mm-hmm. objects on your desk and, and get yeah. your attention. But I can't do that right now. Yeah. What I can do is create actionable content that you're searching for. Because at the end of the day, when one of our prospects is doing a search on the internets for mm-hmm. something, it's not us. No. Like, they're not they're not searching for vendors. They're searching for answers to questions. Yeah. yeah. So the more that we can do to create answers, mm-hmm. guidelines, playbooks, um, you know, actionable content, um, the more likely it is that we're going to pull in real interested buyers. Right. And that's been super effective for us. And it's actually what we're seeing now as we move forward into our customer base. Yeah. Um, if you think about the last seven or eight years, we've all been telling a story, this, this fear, uncertainty and doubt story about mm-hmm. the digital shift. Mm-hmm. It's coming. Um, mm-hmm. You got to get ready for it. Someday in the world, yeah. your, your uh, point of contact with your customer and your consumer is going to be digital. Yeah. And I don't know if any of us really fully believed that that was ever going to happen, but then yeah. March hit last year and holy yeah. crap, it's over. We missed it. It just happened. It yeah. happened on the 11th, which is the date that my calendar says on my desk at my office, March yeah. 11th, 2020, last day anybody worked in an office. Wow. And now your only touch point is through your customer experience content, whether yeah. that's your product and your user experience and your product, yeah. or it's the documentation that accompanies it or the guidelines and the manuals yeah. on how to use it or the marketing and sales material, or the enablement and, and yeah. educational material, or even the service and support content. Yeah. And all of that has to be aligned in a way that works together now. Yeah. You didn't design your business that way. Yeah. <laughs> so how do we align all this so that we're speaking yeah. the same language? My favorite example is one of our customers is a, is a motorcycle company, manufacturing company. Yeah. And how do they make sure that on page two of their manual, page 37, page 372, on their website, in their service tech documentation, the uh, definition of how to uh, connect the battery is the same. Simple right. example. But how yeah. do you manage that? Because mm-hmm. all of these were silos. Somebody, yeah, yeah. somebody runs the website. Somebody does service tickets. Yeah. How do I manage that? Yeah. That's a huge challenge right now. Yeah. And from a content marketing perspective, you kind of touched on it right then. And I liked the, the relationship you described earlier that you have with sales. From your own personal experiences, you found that that, you know, the way that you enable your internal sales team with content marketing that's consistent is also been something that you've had to transition in the last two years. It sounds like you were doing it anyway, but have you seen that transition in B2B buying where we've needed to be earlier in the cycle as content marketers, sorry, later in the cycle as content marketers, you know, to keep um, nurturing somebody towards becoming an opportunity? Yes. So, I mean, a lot more focus across everything right now on on the value messaging to move the middle of the funnel yeah so it's not just acquisition we can't just put things out to be found we need to move that message throughout the entire funnel process to make sure that we're hitting each stage and we're identifying the questions that are being asked and we're answering them and they're primarily value um so we did it i mean specifically for us um we really leaned into understanding content as an asset Mm -hmm. and Here's, here's the interesting thing is that, you know, we're out and we're talking about how we can increase the efficiency for content creation or um, process and help you save money. 
Yeah. And the response that we were getting here in the middle of the funnel is super cool. Um, show me where in my budget I'm spending money on content. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, what do you, what do you, what do you mean? You're one of the yeah. biggest companies in the, in the world. Your website has a million pages. Yeah. But content, we don't have writers anymore. We're not hiring a writer pool. We have yeah. people that go to work and a byproduct of their day is the creation of content. Mm-hmm. And that's not measured in content no. money. That's measured in headcount. So it's yeah. somewhere else in the business. Yeah. So we had to create content specifically around the idea of content as an asset. Content yeah. in your business has a cost. And let's help you identify that and then show you how we can directly impact that yeah. cost. Yeah. It also... PS changes who you're selling to mm-hmm. because while the person that you thought was the champion in your deal and the marketing organization might think that's really neat. Yeah. The CFO is the one that deals with head headcount costs. Like yeah. this is a much different area of the business. And now we're getting buy-in in places that we didn't necessarily need to have buy-in. Before, right. Right. Um, just through creating content that tells a better, stronger story about where you do this inside your business. Right. Right. And um, I can't. And uh, yeah, we kind of skip past a lot of what your company Acrolinks do in our conversation about um, you know how your how your role works because I, I was fascinated by that. But um, Acrolinks helps with managing content, and you talk a lot about artificial intelligence there. Do you want to just mention a little bit about that and what are the benefits people can see? I mean, AI is being tossed around all over the place at the moment. So what, what, what do you think are the genuine benefits that you bring? Yeah. So, I mean, at a high level, what we do is this is an AI driven platform that improves the quality and effectiveness of content. Mm-hmm. And so what does that mean? Really? It means that a customer a company, a global brand, our, our companies represent, you know, 20 of the top 20 largest global technology companies, mm-hmm. um, pharmaceutical companies, banks, uh, global manufacturers, people that use a lot of words and to whom messaging brand language terminology is important. Mm-hmm. So Acrolinks learns how to be your best content editor. Everybody that owns content has a whiteboard in their office and on the yeah. whiteboard are all the things that make their content theirs, their tone mm-hmm. of voice, their clarity levels of the audiences that they create content for. Yeah. Um their style guidelines, uh, the emotion that they want to pack into that content, whether or not they need to be inclusive in their content. And in today's world, most people do. Um, And all that's written up on the whiteboard, and that's super cool. But again, we don't have writers. Um, So nobody can see the whiteboard. (laughs) If they could, most people are just people at work, and they probably don't care about the whiteboard. Mm -hmm. So Acrolinks, the platform, learns all of that it takes it right off the whiteboard, digitizes it, makes it actionable. Mm -hmm. And it's reading your content for correct language for consistency for scannability tone of voice clarity terminology um what words do we like what words don't we like do we want to use do we not want to use um inclusive language legal terms right so that you end up with a quantified measurement of Mm -hmm. good content right if i if i ask you to write a piece of content i say make it good yeah what does good mean yeah yeah you're wearing a sweater today and maybe I don't love sweaters and it's going to throw me off. And now yeah. content is good. Acrolinks yeah. doesn't care what you're wearing. Um, yeah. This piece of content is an 80. Yeah. 80 is good. 90 yeah. might mean goes directly to production. Yeah. And our customers are building gates in their organization. Mm-hmm. So that as I move a piece of content through, it gets scored. That score allows it to move to the next level. Mm-hmm. Finally, eventually into production. So no content goes without mm-hmm. going through full editorial, which in most of our the companies, the size of our customers, they're mm-hmm. maybe through manual editing, hitting 
2% of all the content that's created. Right. Enterprise lens. Yeah. They're moving to be able to, to manage 100% of their content. Right, right. That's fascinating. And I think the scoring of content quality has always been like a, I mean, I know you guys have been around for a long time and we, I've actually been at CMS Vendor where we partnered with you. So I'm fairly familiar with the product from a, from a while ago. But I know that content scoring is always a challenge. Like what does good mean and what does good performance in content mean and how do you wrap all that up? And, and not only do that at the level of marketing operations, but do that at the editor author level and say, yeah. you know, let me know as I'm typing how I'm doing. Well, that's so. That's how I found Acrolinks. Yeah, uh, I worked at an, at an international business. Uh, my best writers were, at best, English as a second language. Yeah, and just super smart, super technical. Yeah, and the writing was not great. It wasn't particularly readable, and you yeah. can't just edit it. It's not just changing mm. um, correctness issues because when you do that, you risk changing context, mm-hmm. and. When I discovered Acrolinks, the idea of being able to push all that right back to the first draft mm. and say, you know, I can't read this, you yeah. make the change now. And what mm. comes out of that is readable, is is correct and technical and mm. ready to move to the next stage. Then I'm not editing it for the mess. I'm mm. editing it for the context. And that's something that we don't get to do a lot. Anybody involved in the editorial process 90% of the time when you're manually editing first draft content, you're just making sure it doesn't have obscenities in the middle of it. Yeah. And you're like, this is great. Well, what did it say? Yeah. I don't know, but it doesn't have the F word in it. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 And now our, our customers are able to read yeah. content and look at it. And does this represent my business? Yeah. And where we're headed now uh, in, in a release that's coming up in the new year yeah. is being able to take that number, that Acrolink score, and measure that against relevance. And let me explain yeah. what I mean. So for many years, um, one of the top website uh, web pages on our website, for whatever reason, prior to my being here, was um, a, a blog article about Christopher Columbus. Mm-hmm. And it drew a lot of organic traffic. But what it also did, so we're seeing organic traffic and we're like, mm-hmm. cool, organic traffic. Great. Yeah. Our content is yeah. working. Our website yeah. is wonderful. But yeah. it's also increasing our bounce rate mm-hmm. because it's totally irrelevant to what people were coming and they were looking at it and they're looking around and like i'm in the wrong place boom so i'm increasing my bounce rate i'm lowering my conversion rates yes the the impact of my website is lower because i have i have irrelevant content Mm -hmm. so what we're adding to the product now is that next step of you have an 80 you have a hundred it's perfect Mm -hmm. content but is it right for where you're doing it? Is it answering the questions of the audience that is that's frequenting your content? So are you creating apple orchard content and putting it on the National Milk Board website? Because mm. if you are, I don't care how good your apple orchard content is. It's not relevant yeah. to them. <laughs> it's hurting your business. It's using um, all of your statistics. Right, right. So how are you judging relevance or am I asking for the secret source there? Because I'm absolutely fascinated by this. Um, so that's looking at the questions that are being asked all the way back to the beginning. We're also going before our product to add some search functionality to look at the problem that you're trying to solve for Mm -hmm. identifying how to either reuse or build content to solve for that process and then looking and integrating with third-party analytics in the production world so your content is out 
This mm-hmm. is what's happening with it. Now let's identify why and how that relevance aspect is being missed. And all of the math that goes into there is sort of the, the part of the product that, that we're building now. That's perfect because as a content marketer, you're, the measurement by the rest of the business is always difficult. Do you get measured by how much stuff you create? No, that's not going to be right. Do you get measured by how many hits you get? Well, then I might as well just produce a, uh, a I might as well train a cat to play piano and put that on your homepage because you'll get loads of hits. But loads like you say, it won't be relevant, right? Um, but so I love this idea of relevance and it's something I've been chasing a little bit in my career recently. So I'm definitely going to be checking that out. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about it because my yeah. whole pitch has been like, you have a hundred Acrolink score. It's a perfect yeah. piece of content. Why isn't it working? Yeah. Well, we can know that we can fig- yeah. we can figure that out yeah. with AI and be yeah. able to help you evolve your enterprise guidelines. Because what we know, yeah. let's let's all just for a second be real about how we set our tone of voice and our and yeah. the way that we communicate through our content at the enterprise level. I'm going to say it: we guess. And yeah. Gartner says that 80 percent of us people in my role have have identified that we guess and we yes. guess well. It's our yeah. job. Like yeah. that's our career is to, um, to know how to communicate with mm. our chosen audiences, mm. but we don't know for sure. And mm. in a, in the world that I want to live in and the progression yeah. that our product is making, yeah. I'd like to be able to listen more to the audience. I talk a lot about strategy aligned content, yeah. so building guidelines that align your content with the way that you want to create your content. Mm-hmm. But that falls under the category of who says, I say, mm-hmm. this is how mm-hmm. I think our content should mm-hmm. sound. I want to see that evolve into audience-aligned content. Well, the other thing is, is you're not always the highest paid guest in the room, right? So it might be your guest is perfect, but somebody else has got a guest around that C-suite table and they're going to tell you, yeah, but I've got a guest too. And so Everybody knows how to market. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, we could do a whole show on that one, that's for sure. Um, So you've got this artificial intelligence that's helping people write the content. Now, um, I'm going to be quite contrary because I'm absolutely fascinated by what you're talking about, but just to clear this one off, but we're talking about, I mean, robots have got a bad rap in marketing automation. And we also, there's always that conflict from the SEO days of, are we writing for the robots of Google? Are we writing for the people that read it and all that kind of stuff? So, um, how do you strike that balance of making sure, because the mistakes sometimes in the content are what make it human, isn't it? it? When people are reading that and it's, it's like, um, you know, doing this podcast, um, I, I, I spoke to a radio, interviewed a radio DJ, and they said, leave the mistakes in, because that makes it sound more intimate. So is how do you strike that balance of not making the, you know, not making the content written for a robot that's actually written for people and it connects? So we made a decision. Uh, we could have Acrolinks be a lot more prescriptive. Mm-hmm. This is what it is. We're going to make the change. Yeah, especially at the automation level. So we can do full repository scans and find all the problematic language in a repository across all of your documents. And it is completely possible for us to automate the changing of those. Right. To your point, they're just guidelines. Yeah. It's not law. And as an example, at my last company, we were a testing company. Uh, mm-hmm. mobile cloud testing organization that um, sold to DevOps. So we didn't like to use the word test. Right. So if I had Acrolinks there, Acrolinks would say, you said test, didn't you mean quality? Right. Most of the time, the answer is, oh my God, you're right. Hold on, yeah. go ahead and change that. Yeah. There are times when I absolutely meant to say test. Yeah. And, and I want it in there. So if we automate that and, yeah. and make that a thing that just is, 
Yeah. And your content's going to get really confusing. Yeah. And I think that that's, there are companies out there that do that automated writing. Yeah. But I still feel that you can read that automation. Mm-hmm. We want this to be human content. And our customers do too. Um, some of our biggest customers use our product specifically to sound more human. Yeah. Not to sound like robots because yeah. the people that are writing their content are so smart. Yes. In some cases, yeah. it's not, it's not yeah. readable. It just sounds. Oh, I've had that. Yeah. I think when you're in B2B tech and you've got folks writing content, they're so into the topic and so, like you say, so smart that what they actually produce isn't human readable. You know, it's, it, you know, you need yes. to soften it down. Plus, I think, like you were saying about people that are, have English as a second language. Particularly, um, you know, I, you know, the way that a European person speaks English in a very direct way, some of them, like the Dutch, for example, we don't speak like that. Americans don't speak like that. So I think um, running it through an engine like this actually probably makes it more human, human connectable between the different folks. Yeah, so, exactly. So yeah. For, for me, like we... When I got here, our, the, the founder, the person that created the technology, and I sat down and created our tone of voice for the yeah. company moving forward. Yeah. And it's light and airy, but mm-hmm. wise and witty. And mm-hmm. I don't know what that means from that standpoint, but we then created actionable guidelines that right. are based on that so that it creates our content to sound that way. Mm-hmm. So if you come in and you are incredibly smart and very dry, yeah. Acrolinks is going to make your content accessible. It's going right. to lighten that content up yeah. in our situation. Yeah. We also have big English banks yeah. that don't want to be conversational no. and light and airy. They want to sound like big English banks. Yeah. And so the reason that I don't talk about quality a lot is because I feel like quality is subjective. Mm-hmm. Talk about alignment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not, I mean, and if relevance. you want to sound light and airy, you can sound yeah. light and airy. Yeah. But if you want to sound formal, you can sound formal. We can yeah. help you do whatever you want to do. Yeah, yeah. No, I like that. And the, the, when you were saying about um, auto-correcting um, those terms, I, I, I really thought of the text I sent to my wife. You know what I mean? like, nobody wants to be auto-corrected. No, <laughs> no, it's not good. <laughs> not good at all. Why do all right, so um, ducks so often. Uh, <laughs> ducks. I don't know. <laughs> So um, I've taken a huge amount of your time. I really appreciate this. Um, I want to run on to our final question. So in tribute to the rock stars that used to throw things into hotel swimming pools, we have a regular feature called the Rockstar CMO Swimming Pool, our portal to marketing hell where we throw all the bullshit snake oil and overhyped trends that plague this industry we love. What would you throw into our Rockstar CMO Swimming Pool? Well, so if I were a rock star and I threw a TV out the window, the TV is useful. <laughs> I just am annoyed at it. And yeah. I think that's that's the example here is that for me, it's conference sponsorship. It's big, wow. huge conference sponsorship. Wow. Um, most companies at some point in their, their evolution, their scaling up, mm-hmm. feel like the best thing to do is mm-hmm. spend like 25,000 euros to sponsor a big show. Yeah, And you come back and you feel great about everything. You had a lot of conversations. Yeah. And I, I must have gotten hundreds of leads. Yeah. And then you bang it up against your ICP and you got one lead. Yeah. And um, that's almost every company that I've joined in the last 15 mm-hmm. years. That's where they've been when I've walked in the door. Yeah. We're just, we love these big conferences. And there's yeah. so much more that you can do with a slightly more surgical approach yeah. to go after the right people. We know who we want to talk to. So go all the way back to my first campaign. I knew yeah. who I wanted to talk to. 
Yeah. I don't need to spend 26,000 euros to talk to those 10 people. Mm-hmm. I have conversations with those 10 people. Yeah. And so you suffer a little bit from an awareness standpoint, if you're trying yeah. to build brand for some reason, mm-hmm. um, but from a, cost of doing business and going after the right people. I am yeah. literally throwing those conferences out the window. And to be fair, I love those. I miss Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I need to be smart. Yeah. And these days it's so data driven that you, you know, um, spending, spending tens of thousands of dollars, euros or whatever on an event and looking at the CEO in the eye and saying, that was my guess. <laughs> you can't get away with that anymore. Can you? So, no, that's and, hard. And I've, I mean, I've been a vendor where we've gone to events because we thought that if we didn't go, the rest of the industry would think we were dead, you know, and it's, you're really playing to your peers. You're not playing to what you're saying about, about being connected with the business and to the pipeline. Well, it's like running a, a, an alert for your, your competitors' press releases. Oh my God, our competitors put out a press release. Yeah. You know who knows that? You. You're the only one who knows that because nobody's watching that. Oh man, we could go into that. I mean. I mean, salespeople googling your 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 brand name and then telling you that your um, PPC isn't working. I mean, that kind of stuff. So stop doing that. Oh, you're not helping. Hey, don't click on that. How about that? <laughs> yeah, but also like Google's figured out you've searched for us every single day. It's going to stop showing the ads. But anyway, um, all right. So I really enjoyed that, Chris. You probably noticed. Um, and I look forward to talking to you again. But when people spin the dial on the interwebs and they want to talk to you, where will they find you? So companies at acrolinks.com. That's A-C-R-O-L-I-N-X.com. And I am at C.P. Willis at LinkedIn. Um, and um, probably all kinds of other places. <laughs> well, I think LinkedIn I'll, is the professional place. I'll include all your links in the show notes. And I hope to have the pleasure of having you back on the show. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you. Thank you, Chris, for a fascinating conversation that I hope to revisit one day. I really like that approach of tying marketing to revenue. And of course, I could talk about content all day. Okay, it's that time of the week again. Time for a cocktail with my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose in the Rockstar CMO Virtual Bar. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Ah, uh, hello, and welcome to the bar. It's uh, it's good to see you here. And boy, is it cooling off. Um, yeah. I we are in the throes of fall, so I I yeah. I am I am happy about that. This is the time of year that always makes me the happiest. So, yeah. um, so we have something special tonight, actually. Ooh. Um, and. It's, you know, it is as fall, a dr- I, I wanted to celebrate really the, the, the chill in the air with something mm-hmm. that was, that would warm you up and sit by a fire, put on a sweater sort of idea. Um, uh, and so I, uh, I'm making something, I have no better, I, I, I do not have a nice creative name for it. So I'm simply calling it the tequila fall. Um, now it's a really interesting drink and it's going to sound weird at first um, because <laughs> it's a mix of both so you need a good tequila here like a really good anejo tequila um you know best really nice flavor here and then whatever your favorite bourbon is and i know that sounds weird but you add just a little bit so if you add one part of your really nice anejo tequila add a half part of uh your favorite bourbon 
And then if there's any sort of mold uh, syrup or a mold simple syrup that you have that, you know, like you, that you really like. And then of course, a little bit of orange zest or something like that. And that is, that will, that will cure whatever ails you, I promise. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. I've never even considered the combination of tequila and bourbon. I had not either until I tried it, and it's amazing. I mean, wow. now it has to be, both have to be good. Like, you can't put crap tequila into crap bourbon and expect it to be better. It's, it's, it, well, you both run your of them have to that. be high quality stuff. <laughs> yeah. And is this, is this your home experimentation, or, or did you come across this somewhere? No, I experimented with this. I, I have seen right. that there are, I, like I didn't invent it for sure, but um, but that this was, I did not see this and try it. I basically said, I'm going to try this, just, you know, nice. put in this really nice bourbon I had into this really nice Ajo, just an and, and Ajo, and, and I ended up putting just a few drops in at first, and then I was like, no, I don't really taste it. And then I added a little more and a little more, and it was like, mm. oh, now that's warm in the belly. Um, <laughs> and it was, yeah. And yeah, this one is, by the way, this one is neat. You do, you do this one wow. neat, right? You do this one, wow. you know, you don't, I mean, maybe you put a big rock in it, but, but I, I, I did it neat. Okay. Well, and that's, and that's two parts tequila to one part bourbon. Anyway, yeah. I'm, um, you, you said about putting a big rock in it. So I'm going to kick this off as I try to emulate that. Um, drink with uh, the contents of my desktop bar. So uh, let's have a look at what I've got. Ooh, uh, I think we've agreed this is a good substitute for tequila. I think. Well, maybe we didn't agree it. I just constantly use it as a good substitute for tequila. It's Hendrix. I'm still on the Lunar Gin. Nearly. nearly yeah, out, it's it's a lot lighter mm -hmm. than a tequila would yes. be. Exactly. And I don't happen to, I do love a bit. It of is bourbon. both liquid. I mean that it does have yeah, that going alcoholic. for it. They are both liquid. Yeah. And and light. And I also have uh, I don't I also don't have uh, any um can't get the open. Oh there we go. Uh that's not bourbon. You could probably tell. <laughs> no. <laughs> that no, I can tell that that is definitely not bourbon. Yeah, that is, that is true. <laughs> well, I'm going to um yeah, I don't know how I can even make the connection between fever tree cucumber tonic water and bourbon. Those two things are very dissimilar. But I'm going to pour some in anyway. That's good. And um, good show. I'm going to give this a taste. Uh, I did a slightly different um, mix to two parts to one part. Mmm. <laughs> that would cure whatever ails you. Uh, and yeah. warm you through. I, I suspect it would. Yeah, I suspect it yes. would. <laughs> yeah. You are, I mean, as we do get cooler here, I I think you are going to have to evolve out of Hendrix gin and tonic. I, I really do. <laughs> because that is, I mean, I, you know. <laughs> it's a summer drink. I, yeah. It, you got you, you to gotta just something, something that's going to warm your body there because... <laughs> Well, what have we done? I mean, I know that I know that I'm on episode 85, and I know you weren't doing cocktails from the beginning. I think you joined like I don't know, ten episodes in, five, six episodes in, something like that. So we, ma I made it through the winter on <laughs> gin and tonics last year. Oh, it's not that you can't make it through the winter. I mean, every Englishman in the world has got that going for him. <laughs> you know, um, that's true. It's how do you make it through the winter? You know in style that's the real that's the real key 
Well, I, I think it's how do you make it through a podcast with the same fucking joke <laughs> in it? <laughs> All right. Well, that's delicious. And what did you call it, Robert? Um, well, yeah, this was called the Tequila Fall because I quite frankly couldn't come up with anything more creative. Oh, that's unlike you. Uh, and yeah. so, uh, <laughs> thank you for pointing that out. Yes. <laughs> and you're, um, I mean, I know that you're in California. You're probably saying it's getting cold. It really isn't. Um, <laughs> yes, that's true. You, you were talking about um, somewhere cozy uh, to be drinking these. And where would you suggest? Well, I think we have to be up in the mountains somewhere. Um, nice. And yeah, I think we have to be up in the mountains. And, I, you know, I'm not really sure where. I mean, I we would. <laughs> You would probably know more about this than I would, um, but as I fly over, uh, and I've only flown over it, I've not, I've not actually mm-hmm. ever visited this area before. Sort of northern Italy into uh, yes. Switzerland. You know, I, what you see are these little villages, sort of buried into the valleys yeah. of these mountains, um, yeah. where there's like, you know, and I sometimes see this on Instagram too, where it's like the picture of some Swiss chalet and there's a waterfall behind it and the rainbow going back there. And, you know, it's in the midst of these giant mountains and it, you know, looks like you could have some warm cocoa on a, you know, there, wherever that is, is is where, is is where. Nice. Nice. Well, I think, um, I I think you may not get the the bourbon and and nice tequila that you're looking for from those little villagey places, but they'll certainly serve you something that will cure whatever ails you. That's for sure. Well, that's true. It's going to be, it's going to be schnapps or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. 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 But that sounds fantastic. So, and then uh, that bright Alpine sky, I think, uh, and then, and then, uh, and then the, the warm fire, as you say. So, and then um, we've um, yodeled or whatever it is you're supposed to do when <laughs> you're there. <laughs> we've completed that, uh, and the conversation turns to marketing. What are we going to be discussing, Robert? Well, you know, here we are in October of 2021, mm-hmm. and the end, quite frankly, of October, mm-hmm. um, and. It doesn't it feel like there's more change now in the air than it does, yeah. you know, than even, you know, even earlier this year or even in the midst of, of the end of last year. I mean, it just feels like I'm behind, right? You know, I'm I'm behind. I'm behind in deadlines. I'm behind in the research I should be doing. I'm behind in thinking about how behind I am. Um, <laughs> and, you know... And I, wrote, I, I, I was, I was, my, my first item on my to-do list the other day was to sort out my to-do lists. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> exactly. And, and we think about this change, right? This, this, mm-hmm. all this change that's going on and, and, and how rapidly it's coming. And, yeah. you know, and this is especially true in marketing or content marketing where, you know, yeah. we're thinking about all this change that we want to affect, you know, we're going to convince leadership that what we're doing is the right thing. We're going to convince our yeah. colleagues to adhere to these new models we're gonna you know get them behind it get sales behind the stuff that we're creating and simultaneously we're thinking about how we're going to convince everybody to change the business to fit our vision and all that stuff and you know we 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 want it right we want that change we hope for that change we pay consultants like me to come in and you know (laughs) point you in the right direction to get to that change but it's weird that everybody wants to own the result of the change and nobody wants to actually change. Um, and, uh, you know, but the interesting thing is, is that most of the time 
when we think about that process of change, we're way less afraid uh, that we're going to fail at that than we have the doubt that we can actually succeed. Mm-hmm. In other words, we, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to fail. We know that we're not, you know, we're, we're pretty confident we're not going to fail, but we have a lot of doubts about whether we can actually succeed at it. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because this actually matches research that's out there that um, people would rather, and they've, they've done polls and surveys and, and, and research on this, people will rather take a $100 bill sitting right in front of them than be given a chance, a 50-50 chance of winning $200, right? So you take uh, the money yeah. that's on the table, right? You know, yeah. So you don't want to gamble. We choose uncertainty, however, if we're faced with losing something. In other words, if we're going right. to lose something in, in that same study, right? In other words, would you rather take a 50-50 chance of losing $200 than definitely losing $100? Well, then mm-hmm. you best basically say, we'll take the chance. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So it's fascinating that sort of tension between those two things. And mm-hmm. in either case, we're stressed out, right? We're yeah, stressed yeah. out about it. And so... Um, you know, there's a reason that worry, by the way, is called the most useless emotion um, mm-hmm. because, you know, we're we're more likely to feel stressed out and risk averse because of uncertainty, but we're stressed out nonetheless. And mm-hmm. and so, you know, the, 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 the crazy thing is, is that about it's it's almost weirdly better to have this definitive result like we're going to, you know, we know we're going to fail rather than we don't know. Um and the example I often use there is like, you know, you, okay, so you're late for a flight and you get in the car, right? And you're, you know, you, you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to go catch your plane and you immediately get on the, the freeway and, and all of a sudden it's bumper to bumper. Yeah. And you're like, I'm definitely missing this flight. And you just yeah. go, fine, I'm making some calls. I'm going to, you know, yeah. get on my phone and I'm going to make alternative arrangements. It's all good. Yeah. But the problem is, is you get on the freeway and the traffic is really light. And then all of a sudden it's heavy and then it's light and then it's heavy. And there's like a 50, 50 shot you're going to get to the yeah. airport. And now that's when you're pounding your steering wheel and telling yourself you're an idiot for not planning better. And you're yeah. all stressed out. Right. Yeah. And that's really fascinating to me because I see the same thing happening with this content marketing and marketing change that we're trying to go through. I finish a workshop and we've brainstormed all this change with the teams and everybody's all excited and happy to like go, yeah. yay, we're in this new environment. You know, traffic's light on the freeway, right? We're yay, we're awesome. And now yeah. all of a sudden somebody goes, well, mm-hmm. you know, there's all these things we got to do. And there's all those things we got to do. And this and Bob, oh, no, as soon yeah. as you mentioned Bob's name, now Bob's going to, you know, it's like it's all going to go to hell. And the rocks start yeah. to pile up. And all of a sudden now everybody's stressed out. Yeah. And the weird thing is, is that we have to let that go. You've got mm-hmm. to be able, to, if you're going to affect change at all, you have to be able to let those uncertainties uh, go and you have to be able to flow. And if you're going to go flow into it, then you just have to let all of those things, you know, that you can't control, you know, uh, you have to basically let it go. Yeah. Um, you know, my grandfather used to say, he used to say to me all the time, you know, like he, he'd be like, boy, you're already in the river. You might as well go with the flow. Right. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, that's, that's what it is. And it's, it's fascinating to me how we get so stressed out about this stuff that, that, that we just don't have any clue about and we just need yeah. to get over it. 
And is that something you see a lot with your, your clients? I mean, I know I've, I've been party to your, um, your workshops and stuff before where you're right, you know, you're all excited about, um, about getting it done and you're able to think, you're in that room in that moment and you're thinking the art of the possible and then as soon as the, you know, door opens, in rushes all the tactical shit you need to get done and the reality of the whole affair and the energy dies a little bit. How do you, get, how do you help people over that hump? Well, one of the things that we do, we have not been doing it, I will be honest, in as much as we've been working remotely, because mm. for whatever reason, this is harder to do remotely. It is, is much easier to do when you have the energy of a team in the room. Um, so one of the things that we've been doing, or we did do ve- almost every workshop that is like that, at the end of the workshop, we would map those things out, right? We would say, you know, literally we would have a half an hour discussion that we call the rocks, right? So here we've mapped out this vision. Here's what we want to do. Here's the roadmap for doing it. Now let's talk about the rocks that are in our way. And we just brainstorm all of them, right? Bob and the budget and the timing and the big event that we have coming up. And can we get everybody on board with, you know, all those rocks, we sort of map them out. And then what we do is we say, let's put two categories to them. One, how certain are they, right? Right. How how certain are we that they are absolutely going to be a rock or how much we just think they might be a rock and yeah. put a put a number to it right between one and 10, 10 being it's going to happen. We need to deal with it. <laughs> and one being yeah. like it may happen or it may not. And then the second category we do is we say, OK, categorize it in two ideas, which is one, if this rock can't be gotten around. Is it a showstopper? In other words, does everything come to a halt? Like our whole plan comes to a halt or is it just a bummer and we'll have to figure out another way around it, right? One is called a showstopper and one we call testable. And basically, so then what we do is we, you know, go through what we usually find is out of the 15 or so rocks that are brought up, there's three of them that are showstoppers and the rest are pretty much just bummers, you know, that just are testable and we can figure out some way around them. And then... Of those showstoppers, maybe, you know, most of them are usually doubtful, right? We don't know. Mm-hmm. We just yeah. we just assume. And so anything that scores below a five in terms of certainty, if it's a showstopper, we say, you, you just can't worry about it, right? You just literally yeah. can't worry about it, right? Now, if it's yeah. a 10 and a showstopper, that's job number one. We got to go figure that out before we even start yeah. this plan, right? So. Yeah. That's the, so it's just mapping that, you know, it's just literally getting the, the known out there and written down so that you can forget about it or so that you can prioritize to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. I've, um, I've run content marketing mm. workshops before where you get to that point of, of excitement and, um, and then the reality bites and they're, they're wondering whether they can affect this change. And I think that approach sounds excellent. Bring that all out and then see if you can plan around those rocks. That sounds excellent. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so that's the, you know, that's, that's the way we see dealing with that. You know, the, 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 a lot of it though is messier than that, of course, because mm-hmm. a lot of people are just like, oh, I don't know. I don't know yeah. how big a deal it's going to be. I don't know if how Bob's going to react. I don't know if it's a 10 or a one, mm-hmm. you know, and, and what you have to do is sort of play those things out. Um, and sort of, you know, and, and really just, you know, based on your experience, 
or quite frankly, you uh, end up assigning it to another category, which is we got to go find out, right? Yeah. We, gotta, we have to, you know, somebody actually has to go and take the job of saying, well, let's just go ask Bob how big of a jerk is he going to be? <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> well, it's the it's the elephants in the room, isn't it? I mean, it's it's naming them and yes, like and make, just just knowing they're there and it's on the whiteboard is a start, isn't it? This is why it's harder to do remotely. Yeah, you, yeah. you know, is because what you know when you're in a team and you're in you know when you're with a team and you're sitting in that room together, you know, you sort of have that fun cone of silence, yeah. right? That you can sort yeah. of be honest and transparent with each other and go, you know, this is what we're dealing with. And this is what we have to do as a team to, you know, and it can be very, quite frankly, team building when you do that. But, you know, on remote, you just never go because the meeting's getting recorded and you don't yeah. know who's going to see it or watch it. And, you know, yeah. so everybody's a little more circumspect about how they are, you know, how they're, yeah. how they're talking. So, and, and you can't read the energy of the room at all. So, yeah. and they can't either. So they don't know if there's two of their comrades sort of in the background texting each other going, oh, my God, what's this dude talking about? Right. (laughs) Yeah, the back channel. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic, mate. And uh, for advice like this, uh, if we were we were uh, strolling around the Internet and we were we were looking for something, where would we find something like that? Well, you'd probably find it on our little hovel on the Web, which is at contentadvisory.net. That's splendid. And when the listener spins a dial on the interwebs, where will they find you? They'll find me lately a lot on Twitter and a lot on LinkedIn. Um, mm-hmm. And um, uh, I have actually been contemplating doing, I, I found one B2B sort of marketing guy and he had a really interesting TikTok channel. And I <laughs> thought it was, I know it sounds silly, but it was really good. You know what yeah. it was? It was him telling this kind of story. Um, and it was just, you know, do you tell a 30 second or 45 second story with a little lesson to it? And it was like, that was really good. So I may try that, but, um, but otherwise, yeah, Twitter and LinkedIn and and you can find me and won't find me on anything like clubhouse. Yeah. I'm, I'm also breaking through the, 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 the trivial part of TikTok and I've found some, um, some serious stuff as well. I think that it may, it may be warming on us as a, as a channel for B2B marketers to communicate with each other. So It is hard to find things on TikTok, Mm. I find. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. You sort of have to wade through a lot of stuff, which some of it is very entertaining. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, it it is it it isn't the kind of thing where you can sort of, you know, pinpoint exactly what you're looking for and go find a whole bunch of content on that. They sort of make you go through. And I think that's kind of the way the algorithm works is that you have to go through all the stuff to get to what you're looking for so that they can sort of track and develop the algorithm more personally for you. Yeah, you are trusting the algorithm. And uh, yes, uh, that's probably a whole discussion in itself. And talking of whole discussions, will you be in the bar next week, my friend? Of course I will. Excellent. Well, I'll see you then. Thank you very much. Thank you, Robert. I agree. This year has just flown by and change is definitely the watchword right now. And we need to adapt to succeed. So that's a wrap on episode 85 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks again to Chris Willis and Robert Rose for joining me and for sharing their insight. Thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. You can find all the links we discussed in the show notes. You can find the show notes 
on your favorite podcasting app or rockstarcmo.fm. You can also find all our previous episodes. So, does the world need another Epping Marketing Podcast? Let me know what you think. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. And please leave a rating or review in your favorite podcatcher or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff is back. I'm hoping to chat with Anne-Marie Twig, Managing Director of The Next Woman. And I will no doubt find my friend Robert Rose in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Until then, have a great week. And I hope you'll join us here again next week at Rockstar CMO FM. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.